0: Welcome to the Palmwood Podcast, part of the teaching ministry of Palmwood Church in Oviedo, Florida, where we love God extravagantly, love people with humility, and mentor others to do the same. Here's Pastor John with an introduction for this week's message. Thanks, David. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Palmwood Podcast. Today, we're on our second to the last message in our series, Know What You Believe, based upon the framework of the historic Apostles' Creed. Today is the last actual stanza of the Creed, I Believe in the Life Everlasting. Did you know that it was always God's intent for humanity to live forever? It's true. But when sin entered the world, everything changed. And the overarching story of the Bible is God's work to redeem humanity so that in the end, we could experience everlasting life once again. God accomplished all of this through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of His Son. I hope when we're done with today's installment of the podcast, you fully understand the great news that eternal life begins the moment we say yes to Jesus. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Well then, says Paul, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using an illustration of slavery to help you understand all of this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now, you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteousness, righteous living, so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin... You were free from the obligation to do what is right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things done that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. Listen to verse 23. It's going to come back. We're going to come back to this verse several times today. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. I believe in the life everlasting Today, we're going to talk about what that means. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we now quiet our minds and our hearts, we open the scriptures and we dig to learn more about you and our identity in Jesus and the gift of eternal life that you have given Holy Spirit, be our teacher and our guide. Take us deep into the Word with understanding, not, not just hearing, not just knowing what the words say, but getting it, Lord, and applying it and living it so the world can see what eternal life looks like. Father, forgive me of my sins, clear my brain from its vacation fog, and help me to enter in as your servant this day, to be your vessel, to teach this lesson from your word that is so critical for us to understand. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The wages of sin. The wages of sin. Friends, I want to make something really clear because I'm not sure... I'm not sure a lot of Christians get this. I know a lot of people who aren't Christians don't get this just by things that they say. Eternal life in heaven is not automatic. When somebody dies, they don't automatically go to heaven. Let me let me say that again. When somebody dies they do not automatically go to heaven. Remember last week, we said that everyone lives forever. I reminded you about a a bumper sticker that I had seen that week that said, you know, eternity, smoking or non-smoking. Everybody lives forever. So everybody's going to get some form of eternal life, if you will. But when we talk about eternal life, we're not talking about the other option. When we talk about life everlasting, eternal life, we're talking about the singular option of eternal life with Jesus forever. And it's really important we understand the difference between those two things. I want to start today by going back to the very beginning. I want to go back to the garden. I want to go back to creation. And as God put the finishing touches on day six, on all that he created, the last thing that God formed from the dust of the earth was humanity. And the scripture says that God made mankind, humanity in his own image, in his own likeness. Uh, we, are, we are to be representatives and reflections of him. We're made to look like him and to rule with him. That's that's part of his lavishing his love upon us, is that we, we were designed to rule with God on the earth in his creation. And after that was done, God stepped back from his creation and he said something that is absolutely critical for us to understand as we start our message today. God said, it is very good. Understand the only standard that existed at that moment in time and in creation was God Himself. There were no other standards, there were were no other measures, there were no other rules. God was it. He was the standard. And judging by himself and his own standard, he looked at all that he had made from day one through day six with the crown of creation, that which was made in his own image, and he said it is not just good. He said that on the previous five days. On this day, he said, it is very good. It is perfect. It is exactly what I intended. It is what I want. And a part of that was this relationship that we have with God. God, right from the beginning, put parameters in place to help humanity to flourish, not only in the midst of creation, but in our relationship with him. And within those parameters was a rule. God clearly warned humanity that sin would result in death. I want to go back and I want to read to you from Genesis chapter 2 where God sets the parameters in motion with us so we would know, while things were still very good, what rebelling against God would cause Listen to the creation story, chapter 2. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So in the middle of the garden are two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Keep that in mind. A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and then dividing into four branches. The first branch was called the Pishon, flowed around the entire land of Havilah, where gold is found. And there's a commentary here that the gold of that land is exceptionally pure aromatic resin, and onyx stone is also found there. The second branch, called the Gihon, flowed around the entire land of Cush. The third branch, called the Tigris, flowed east of the land of Ashur, and the fourth branch is called the Euphrates. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, listen, now stop for just a moment. I want you to understand, at this point in the story, only the man has been created. We, we learn about the creation of the woman here in the next several verses, but the man is here. He's having this conversation with Adam, with the man. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it, but the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Listen if you eat its fruit you are sure to die. There's the warning. One rule. <laughs> really? One rule. And it comes with one warning and it is a dire warning. Humanity was placed in a beautiful garden and as we read on we see that they're they're given instructions not only to tend the garden to maintain the garden to cause it to flourish but also then to go outside the borders of the garden and subdue the rest of the earth to bring it into submission, essentially expanding the borders of the garden so that beauty expands across the whole created earth. Humanity was given permission to eat the fruit of every single tree in the garden except one. Listen now. Every tree but one. Do you see that humanity was allowed to eat from the tree of life? You all see that? Humanity was allowed to eat from the tree of life. Just not that one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the the knowledge of good and evil was the only one that was forbidden. The tree of life We learn later after the fall in in Genesis 3, verse 22, that eating from the tree of life causes people to live forever. So listen, the tree of life was open, available, and, and we had an invitation to humanity from the beginning. Eternal life was always God's idea. It was always God's idea. There were two trees in the middle of the garden. The tree of life that would give eternal life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God warned would bring death. Life and death in the middle of the garden right from the very beginning. Keep this in mind as we move on. Because Satan's deception of humanity in the garden was to cloud that specific truth. That's where he went. You see, Satan understands everything he needs to understand about this choice that God has given us. He knew exactly what he needed to deceive Eve about. Listen from chapter 3. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say that you must not eat the tree?" Eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden. Notice how he twisted that. She responds, of course, we may eat the the fruit of the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree that's in the middle of of the garden we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Now stop for a moment. Was that what God said? Was that God's instruction? Think about that as we move on. The serpent says, oh, you will not die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Knowing here is not just... Remember, this is this is Hebrew literature now. This idea of knowing is not just with the head. If you think back to the, the original King James Bible... Uh, that many of us grew up on when it talks about Adam having sexual relations with his wife. He says Adam knew Eve. There's something intimate happening here. Now let's, let's plug that into this text because that's what it's actually saying here. That you will be like God having a relationship, understanding intimately both good and evil. The woman did not get God's instruction right. Whose job was that to communicate that to her? It was the man. He was the only one there when God gave the instruction. It was his job to pass it on to her, and clearly it did not get all the way through. And so Satan knew exactly where he needed to strike. He had been observant enough to see where the weakness was. She did not understand the most basic truth of the garden. And so Satan first calls God's instruction into question, causing confusion, and then he undermined her obedient trust in God's warning to humanity. He deceived her by clouding this truth. You can eat of the tree of life, but you can't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He undermined her understanding. He deceived her by clouding the basic truth. Now, just as an aside, I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but this is the reason why I so passionately wanted to preach through the series that is ending next week on knowing what you believe. Because, friends, I know personally, I know way too many Christians who don't know the basics of the Christian faith and therefore they are way too easily deceived by false teachers, by worldly people who are trying to twist things, by the media, name it. If we don't know what God has already said, especially about the very basics of our Christian faith, we easily can be deceived off the path. And so that's why we've gone through This series on knowing what you believe and why we believe it. That's why I've gone to great lengths over the last several weeks to go into detail about these basic components of the Apostles' Creed. The wages of sin is death. Listen to Romans chapter 6 verse 15 and Romans chapter 6 verse 23 again. Well, then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean that we can go on sinning? Of course not, says the Apostle Paul. Don't you realize that you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey? Now, just think about this. This is biblical truth right now. Whatever we choose to invest ourselves in, we become a slave of that. Now, if that happens to be something of righteousness, that's not a problem but if it happens to be something that's worldly or sinful, now we do have a problem. You know, watching TV is not sinful in and of itself. What you watch on TV can be sinful or righteous. Going to the movies is not sinful in and of itself. What you go to see at the movies is what is sinful or righteous. You choose those things that are righteous, it leads you toward holiness. You choose those things that are sinful and it takes you deeper into sin. Paul says, Do you not realize that you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Again, verse 23, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We, humanity, have become enslaved to sin, and it leads to death. Period. There is no other alternative. Sin is in our nature because we rebelled against God. It leads to sinful thoughts and words and deeds. We don't, we aren't, um, we aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinful. We're full of sin. The wages of sin Our death, this idea of wages. I think Paul chose this word specifically. What's a wage? A wage is something you work for. A wage is something you earn. A wage is something you strive for. A wage is something that is promised for your toil. Go back to the garden. God said you eat the the fruit of that tree, and what's the promise? Death. You will surely die. And that's exactly what's happening. It's not like God didn't warn humanity from the beginning. Sin always takes its slaves deeper and deeper. Romans 6 verse 19, because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using an illustration of slavery to help you understand this, says Paul. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led... Ever deeper into sin. Now, listen now, now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. We are given a choice. Just like in the garden. We had the choice of the tree of life or let's just call it the tree of death because that's what it was. That's what it turned out to be. Life or death. The people of God are, are, are walking with Him uh, through the desert. And what does He say? You can choose today what, what you're going to serve, what you're going to do. Choose life, choose death. Blessings or cursings. There's always been a choice. God has always given us a choice. And Paul is telling us here now today, we still have a choice. You can choose sin and go ever deeper. Or you can choose life and move toward holiness. Satan knew exactly what he was doing when he came directly against humanity on this specific point. He knew exactly what he was doing. It was planned. Our surrendering to his deceit changed everything. That's the bad news. But let's take a look at our key verse one more time. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love this. Our God knew immediately what must happen to set things straight. In fact, immediately after the first man and the first woman surrendered themselves to Satan, to the deceiver, to the serpent, and all of humanity with them, God speaks In Genesis 3, verse 15, he says this. Speaking to the serpent now, he says, And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. This verse has a fancy name in theology. It's called the Proto-Evangelium. How do you like that? simply means the first proclamation of the gospel. Stop and think about that for a moment. Here, in just a matter of verses after the man and the woman have surrendered themselves to the serpent, God gives the first proclamation of the gospel. God here refers not to Adam and his offspring, but he refers to Eve and her offspring. When I was in seminary, my uh, Old Testament and Hebrew language professor was a Messianic rabbi, and he taught us something about this verse that I will never forget. He said that you can go and you can study all of the ancient Hebrew literature that you want to. This is the only place in all of ancient Hebrew literature where the word for seed, think man's seed, is attributed to a woman, not to a man. And this messianic rabbi looks at us as a class and he says, immediately after the fall, God is already talking about the virgin birth. Isn't that amazing? God's already talking about the, about the virgin birth. God refers to her offspring as He. And as the Old Testament unfolds, we learn that this He that He's talking about is the Messiah. It's Jesus. He is going to do something. He, the offspring of the woman, is going to strike, or the word there actually means crush, the head of the serpent's offspring. It's going to be a fatal blow. But the serpent's offspring, all it's going to be able to do is nibble at his heel, strike his heel, bite his heel. That's it. That's all that's going to be able to happen. Immediately after the first man and first woman surrender to Satan and rebel against God, bringing death and decay into humanity, now forever until the Messiah will come, God speaks about his solution. Friends, Jesus came to conquer sin and death once and for all. I love Matthew twenty twenty-eight. Jesus himself the Lord of glory, the second person of the triune Godhead who left the throne room of heaven to come down and take on human flesh in order to minister to us. Listen to what he says. For even the Son of Man, speaking of himself, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life As a ransom for many. If anyone should have been served, if anyone should have been treated as a king of glory on earth, it's Jesus. But no, he humbled himself completely. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And listen to this phrase now. To give my life as a ransom to many. He gave his life as a ransom. Our ransom. Why? Because his life was the payment for our release. See? Jesus ransomed us, who Paul says are slaves to sin. We're slaves. We're going ever deeper into sin. We're enslaved to it. We're in bondage to it. We can't get out. He paid the ransom to sin, to, to our master, if you will, to set us free. Jesus gave his life to free us from our death. Do you see? In Christ, we are now free, free from the power of sin. Free from it. We're set free. We were completely enslaved to sin because of what happened in the garden. But listen, I don't want to get overly theological here, but there's there's something, there's a, there's a deep theological truth I need to try and get across here this morning. There's a Latin phrase that is really important for us to understand because it clarifies a lot about what took place with Adam and Eve and the serpent. When God stepped back on the sixth day of creation and said, it's very good, there was no sin. There was no corruption. There was none of that. It was good. It wasn't just good. It was very good. By whose standard? By God's own standard himself. It was very good. And there's this Latin phrase, passe non pacare, that means it was possible not to sin. When the first man and first woman were created, Adam and Eve, when they were created, humanity was not predisposed to sin and temptation. Let me say that another way. Passe non means it's possible not to sin. The first man and the first woman, our first parents, were created by God very good. They did not have that lure towards sin that you and I have. Think about that. There was no temptation big enough that would cause them to stumble into sin because they didn't have a sin nature. You and I do. And so when you and I come across, there's there's always some level of temptation, right? Chocolate, whatever. There's some level of temptation where we will cave. Not Adam and Eve. They were made perfectly in the likeness of God. They were passe non pecari. They had the ability... Not to sin. So their choice, listen to me now, their choice to rebel against God and surrender to Satan is not like us in that way. They could have said no. They had the ability to say no. We don't. And because of that, humanity changed to the Latin phrase now is non passe, non pacare, meaning now it is not possible to not sin. That's the condition that we're in. We are we are sin by nature, and so therefore we do sinful things. We make sinful mistakes. We make sinful comments. We make sinful gestures. We have sinful desires. Temptation grabs a hold of those sinful things that are inside of us and draws us right into it deeper and deeper and deeper, says the Apostle Paul because we are non-passe, non picare, It's impossible for us to avoid the sin cycle. We can't get out of it. And anybody who doesn't believe that, take a look at a two-year-old. Nobody has to teach them how to sin. They figure it out all on their own. They figure it out all on their own. Here's the good news. In Christ, if you and I are in Christ, we are made passe, non picare again. Because we're set free from that sin cycle. It's broken. We are ransomed from it. And all of its, all of its eternal damning results. We are in Christ no longer bound to sin. The sin within us has been dealt with. It has been paid for. It has been atoned for. The sins that we do once we are in Christ diminish day after day after day the more we grow to be like our Savior. We're not predisposed towards sin anymore. Listen, Jesus didn't just die to forgive our sins though. That's certainly a major part of what he did, but that's not the end that we're pursuing. It gets even Better than that. In Christ, we are now slaves to God, which leads to holiness and results in eternal life. Romans 6.22, you are now free from the power of sin and have become slaves to God now that you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. Friends, I think this might be why Paul those of you that know Paul's story, why he wrestled so much in his later life with trying to des- decide, do I want to stay here and keep ministering to these people, or do I want to go to be with Jesus? And he actually admits in one of his letters, I don't know which one's better. I, I, I want to go and be with Jesus so bad, but I get to be here and watch what's happening with you. And that's pretty good too. And he's, he has this internal battle going on inside of him because he doesn't know what he should do. he He's totally surrendered to the Messiah. He uniquely understands the struggle because he's been steeped in Jewish theology his entire life. But then Paul has this one-on-one time with Jesus that brought all of his Pharisee education, all of his training into focus with God's original intent, his original mission. And now he's experiencing both his own personal freedom in Christ, which is absolutely incredible. Incredible, And he yearns that, that his Jewish brethren would also experience this. But he's also seeing countless others set free by the gospel through his missionary journeys, untold hundreds and thousands, because he gets to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, should he stay and keep seeing that over and over again with all the excitement that it brings? Or should he go on and be completely free with his beloved Savior He says he doesn't know. It's a struggle for him. Here's the point. You and I are now free from the power of sin. You and I are now free from the bondage we were in to sin and death. But this is only true if we surrender to a new master. Let me say that again because that's that's the deal breaker right there. This is only true if you and I surrender to a new master. If we surrender to Christ as king and become possessed by the Holy Spirit, we will do those things that lead to holiness and eternal life, which leads us to our next point. In Christ, we now have an everlasting covenant relationship with God the Father. This is eternal life. Listen, as Jesus is, is saying his high priestly prayer, his last conversation with the Father, we think, right before he goes to the cross, goes through all of the, the things he has to go through with the crucifixion. Here's what he says, Chapter John chapter 17, verse 1. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that he can give glory back to you, for you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one that you've given him. Listen now, verse 3. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. The ultimate purpose, friends, in what Jesus did at Calvary was a full, and complete restoration of our relationship with God that was broken in the garden. Jesus says that eternal life is not something down there in the future. Eternal life is knowing God. Think about John three sixteen and 17 in this light. John three sixteen. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life, would know Him. That's what we're learning from John 17. Why? God sent His Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. God loved us and wanted a restored relationship with us. He's wanted this since the garden. The whole Old Testament storyline is God's restoration process, trying to bring His people back into that relationship. So God sent His Son to save us. God sent His Son to rescue us. God sent His Son to ransom us for that purpose. Heaven is a wonderful place, but our real focus should simply be on dwelling with God, whether it's there or here. You see, eternal life begins the moment you say yes to Jesus. For you and I, friends, eternal life is not a future thing. It's a now thing. It has already begun. In Christ Life goes from what was usurped and stolen and destroyed by Satan to what God has intended all along. Abundance. John chapter 10 verse 10. Jesus says, the thief, Satan, the serpent, he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have what? Anybody know? Life. And have it abundantly. The synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they because they're, they're based upon Jewish historians and Jewish people that, that uh, wrote, or in Luke's case, that he interviewed. Uh, they have a typical Jewish point of view on eternal life, which is in the future, because the Jews of the first century, most of them did not realize that Jesus was the Messiah they were looking forward to, and so they still had a, a forward-looking view of eternal life, but not so with John. In John's Gospel, he takes a first-century Christian view of eternal life. It's already here. Because he realizes it's Jesus. What did Jesus say to the woman at the well? She says, well, a day is coming. you know. You, our fathers say we're supposed to worship here on this mountain, and, and you Jews say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, whoop, time out, lady. A time is coming and has already come when God will seek worshipers that worship in spirit and in truth. Why does he say it's already here? Because he's sitting right in front of her. John takes a first century view. John chapter 5, verse 24. I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message, Jesus says, and believe in the God who sent me, have eternal life. They've already got it. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death to life. He's talking past tense. It has already happened. Verses 39 and 40, I love this. He's talking to the Pharisees here. Jesus says, you search the Scriptures because you think that they will give you eternal life. But the Scriptures point to me, the Messiah. Yet you refuse to come to me and receive this life. Jesus is inviting even the Pharisees into a relationship, but they're saying no. How sad. Life everlasting is the free gift of God. And that gets back to our children's sermon this morning that I tried to convey to Evan Some of your English translations in Romans 6.23 simply say the gift of God. That's actually not an accurate translation. The word that is used there in the Greek language means a free gift, a gift without strings, a gift without attachments, a gift you don't earn, a gift you don't deserve. It's a free gift. Our salvation is simply given, just like those Christmas presents we talked about earlier, because God loves us. That's it. God loves us. He wanted a relationship with us from the beginning. We blew it, and now he wants a restored relationship with us. It's that simple. It really is that simple. All of this, all that we've talked about, is wrapped up in this understanding of life everlasting. I believe in life everlasting. I, I amen the creed. What a way to conclude the, 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 the statement of faith down through the ages of the church. God wanted humanity to flourish from the beginning and established parameters in creation itself for a real love relationship that would make that happen. God provided the tree of life and told humanity, you're free to eat that. Go for the tree of life. God warned humanity not to eat of one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because in such rebellion, they would die. So right there at the beginning, in the middle of the garden, right in the center was life and death. It was placed right before them from the beginning. Humanity rebelled against God, surrendering to the deceiver and plunged themselves and all future generations, including us, into the cycle of death and decay. God announced his plan to redeem humanity immediately after the rebellion. I mean, just a few verses later. Immediately. Jesus came to set us free from the power and bondage we are in to sin and to death. In Christ, we are free from sin and can pursue those things that build our relationship with God again and move us on to that set-apart status, holiness. Eternal life, friends is not something in the future. Eternal life is right now as soon as we know God and Jesus whom he sent. Eternal life is God's beautiful and free gift to us. It wasn't free to him, but it is free to us. But here's the deal. We must accept it and surrender to the giver in order to undo the first surrender of humanity to the enemy. And so I would just close with this question. Okay, so what's your choice? Let's pray together. Father, right now as people in this room and in their homes watching and And Lord, those who are watching later through the media ministry, Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that you will fall upon them and do one of two things. My prayer, Lord, one of two things. You'll either bring profound affirmation that they already have eternal life because of their faith in Jesus or profound conviction that they don't so they can make a new choice. Holy Spirit, do that work. And friends, don't resist what God wants to do in you. Heaven is not automatic. But God does have a free gift waiting for every single one of us if we'll choose to surrender to the giver. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the Palmwood Podcast. If you'd like more information about Palmwood Church and its ministry, see our website at palmwoodchurch.com. Have a blessed day.